I'd like to start before we go to the slide. I want to read this from uh, Philippians chapter 2. And it'll be the first few verses of that. Philippians chapter 2. Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, and if any affection and compassion make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in the Spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourself. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name which is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee who bow, will bow, and those who are in the heavens and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Lord, as we look at this aspect of community, Open our hearts. In Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, we are in this series, True Community. That's the old book. This is the new book, the revised edition that I have. And uh, the, over the past seven weeks, we have looked at seven different aspects of what it is to be a part of the community of God. And it's like this passage we just read. It is our privilege that we can be in fellowship with God because of the act and work of Christ. And he's put us into fellowship. He's reunited with us. Like the word, we've been reconciled to God. That's this, was that the vertical? The vertical. The relationship with God and man has been repaired through the work of Christ. And so we as individuals who accept Christ as our Savior and Lord, and we say, Jesus, you are Lord of my life, our relationship has been uh, restored. And there's something else very exciting that happened. It talks about that he's placed us in the body of Christ. We're in this new family. And we don't have a choice of to choose who God has placed in that family. But we're all in this together. If we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ our Savior Lord, we are now in the body of Christ. How are we to interact with one another? That paragraph I just read in Second Philippians is very strong on encouraging us 
to have this relationship right because this relationship is right. And so these are different aspects we've been looking at. Sharing a common life. We have this common life because of what God has done. Union with God. We have communion with God. We have fellowship with Him. We have fellowship and community. This is this way. Because we're in Christ, we're also in the body. And we're supposed to be a community. And we are to have fellowship. This is a spiritual fellowship. It's not just based upon we're going to the football match to watch a club play football and we're sitting in the stands going, Yahoo! No. We're in a spiritual fellowship. We've been, we're all new creatures. have been placed in His body. Partnership in the gospel. So we have a goal. We have a purpose. It's just not to be kept for ourselves in our little club. Our purpose of our family is to tell others about Christ and God and His love. And so He wants more people to be in the family. And then last week we talked about spiritual gifts within the community. And I thought it was very good the way that Mario just emphasized the importance of the spiritual gifts. They were given to us to where we can share it with others. It's not for ourselves. It's for the body. Of building up the body. It's not for my building up. It's for building up of the church, the body of Christ. And so, spiritual gifts within the community is very important that we understand. In the little letters I usually send out on Tuesdays, I end it by saying, remember to pray for one another. Mario's reminded us, I should probably add, also remember to love one another. Because this is what we're encouraged to do, love one another. And so, now we're going to be looking at this. Sharing your possessions. And so this is how we're going to look at this today. And just how, as we as a body of Christ, as we as individual believers, what are we going to do with the resources that we have? And how do we share those? There's many philosophies of how it should be done. The last 2,000 years we've had the church. And over that period of time there's been many different uh, attempts to tell you how to share your possessions. Like I can tell you how you should share your possessions. I don't want you to tell me how I should share mine. But we're encouraged uh, with different uh, political systems, different economic systems, different uh, value systems of how we're to do that. But hopefully we can look today at well, what is God telling us through His Word? How we are to share our possessions. So, sharing your possessions. I want to start by saying a little statement from King David. He had just built the temple. Or he was gathering resources to build the temple. And this is what he said to the people of Israel. Both riches and honor come from you. And you rule over all. And in your hand is power and might. It lies in your hands to make great and to strengthen everyone. Now therefore, our God, we thank you and praise your glorious name. But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to offer as generously as this? For all things come from you. And from your hand we have given you. For we are sojourners before you and tenants as all our fathers were. Our days on the earth are like a shadow, and there is no hope, O Lord, or our God, 
all this abundance that we have provided to build you a house for your holy name is from your hand and all is yours. This is a perspective. A perspective of what, how we have anything that we have. Who is it from? It's from God. Everything we have comes from God. So this is the a biblical truth that's being presented. That the foundation of what we have when we talk about giving. Well, we've been given everything. Breathing. You breathe every day. That's the gift that God has given. You get up, go to school, go to work. Whatever you, you've been given that strength, energy. Because God is the giver. And we have received that. So I think it's important for us to remember that everything we have, we are stewards of. We don't own it. We're a steward of what God has given to us. And so I think this will be helpful as we consider what we do with our possessions and how we look at it. Because we're a steward of what God has given to us. By godliness, actually, as is a means of great gain when accomplished by contentment. For we have brought nothing into the world, so we, can take, we cannot take anything out of it, either. If we have food and covering, with these we shall be content. But those who want to get rich fall into temptation, and the snare of many foolish and harmful desires will plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil, and some by look longing for it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Now, this is an interesting comment. How are we supposed to look at life and what are we supposed to seek and desire? We should be content when we have food and cover. Now, that's the basic. But how much more do we want? Where are our desires? What are our goals? Are we able to say, I am content? with what God has given me. There's nothing wrong, I think, in trying to better our lives, but that's not what this is talking about. It's talking about what is the drive? What is our drive? We are to be content with food and covering and warned about wanting riches. They say that people who win the lottery after you know, winning a million dollars or whatever, five years afterwards, like 90% of them are in bankruptcy. Money didn't solve their problem. So, you and I sitting here, I said, oh, Lord, if I just had X amount of more, it'd be much better, I could serve you more, I could, I could do so much more for you. God is saying, don't put your trust in riches. Put your trust in me. And it's very easy for us to get our mindset, our focus off of following God and following material things. As it said at the end of this, this verse we were just looking at. For the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil, and some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith, and have pierced themselves with many griefs. So here he's talking to Christians, people that are believers, and they've taken their focus off trusting God to where I want to be rich. 
And what happens? They wander away from faith. Wander away from the faith and they encounter many difficulties because of that. But flee from these things, you man of God, and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called, and you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Charge, uh, I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things, and of Christ Jesus who testified the good confession before Pilate, Thomas Pilate, that you keep the commandments without stain or reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which you will bring about at the proper time. He who is blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who alone possesses immortality and dwells in an unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. That you keep the commandments without stain or reproach until the period of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have two basic commandments that Jesus gave. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and body. Love your neighbor as yourselves. Those are the two basic commandments. There's a lot of other things that we can read from Paul and give us instruction. But those are the basic understanding. So if we are in this relationship correctly, and then we're following by faith to walk in this relationship, then our possessions will also be in that. Don't pursue wealth, pursue God. I think someone will remember this verse. Do not worry then, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What we will wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So, as a Christian, my focus, my pursuit, should be in following Christ, being like Him, and not in pursuit of wealth, riches, money, whatever. My focus should be on Christ and following Him. Because it's very interesting, he says, all these things will be added to you. You need food, you need clothing, you need shelter. God says, that's a, that's a given. That's what I know I would like all people to have. And you as my child, I want to assure you that that's going to be my part, God's part, to give you those things. So trust Him. Instructs those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, storing up for themselves treasures of a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. Like these last three passages, passages I shared are from First uh, Timothy six. Now, just look at this one little thing. He's not condemning people that are rich. There's many people today that say, oh, rich people should give all their money away. 
like living here in the West, where we're at, every one of us in this room is rich compared to two-thirds of the earth where they're living. So you should give all your money to the poor because you're rich. No. But that's what some people will say. Because you have been given so much, you need to give it back. But I like this right here. But God, who riches supplies us of all things, to what? Enjoy. It's not a negative to be rich. But what does he encourage you to do with your wealth, with your riches? To be rich in... Be rich, instructed to be rich in good works, in generous and ready to share. That's where you get your bank account that is everlasting. You want to have rewards in heaven and not have things on earth. Be generous with the riches you have. Be rich in good works. So I want to encourage you, all of us that have any kinds of wealth, money, possessions, is that we are generous to those that we see in need. That we are removed by God's Spirit to say, well, help that person. We do this in a church by taking collections and doing something t together. We can look in the, uh, we're going to look at four examples in the New Testament of how we were, are encouraged to use our wealth looking at other people's lives. So the first example I'd like to point to is this one. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were gathering to, were together and having had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. So this is the experience of those first believers in the day of Pentecost that they were excited. They were now brought into the family of God and they've been restored and they're now uh, uh, together. And so they were excited and they wanted to be around the apostles' teaching and they wanted to just share life. And so some of those that had uh, uh, land or property, they sold it and they put it in a big kitty and they would share it and no one was in need. So many will say, well, this is the model we should have today. Well, we have a whole New Testament. We just have also the whole book of Acts. This is one event. There's many other events that take place. But this is an example though, of the excitement and the joy of being in a family and trying to, okay, how can we do God's work together and share? And so they were doing this. So that's the first example. Second example. Now Josiah, Joseph, a Levite of Supreme birth, who was also called Barnabas by the Apostle, which translated means son of encouragement, he who owned the attractive land sold it and brought the money and laid it at the Apostle's feet. So we have Barnabas. It's also this period of time when the church is growing and, and he's moved and he has a piece of property, he sells it, and he brings all that money and he lays it at the Apostle's feet to be used for the fellowship. This is great. He has a pure heart. The motivation is great. And he just does it willingly. 
We can also see in his life, as you see later on, he's also a very active missionary and apostle in the church and really active. So the thing is, what some people will think is that he sold everything he had. We don't know that. We know that he had a piece of property and he sold it and gave the money. Just in a sidelight, when we look back at what Jesus was teaching when he was with people that were coming and trying to follow him, he would say, if you have two shirts, give one away and keep the one. If you have two sandals, give one away and keep the one sandal. And so he's not saying get rid of everything. He's just saying keep things that you need, but don't store things up as a reserve. Trust me for that. Also, he tells the tax collector, well, someone like Zacharias, when he became a believer. Zacharias, he didn't give all his wealth away. What he did is, I'll give back to all the people that I cheated, and then I'll still serve. And you see, also the tax collectors that were following Jesus, he said, do not take money by coercion and abuse your power. You continue being a tax collector, but be an honest tax collector. You can continue to be a soldier, be an honest soldier. So it's not telling people to quit their work or their lifestyle, their means of income. He's asking them not to abuse it. And so if they have material possessions that they still are providing for their main uh, existence, if they have extra, well then really you should consider how can you help others with that extra. But a man named Ananias and his wife's fire sold a piece of property and kept back some of the price for himself through his wife's full knowledge and brought it according to it and he laid it to Paul's feet. Well, here's Ananias and Sapphira. They did exactly, exactly, exactly the same thing as Barnabas did. They sold a piece of property and they gave it and laid it to the apostles' feet. No. They hid some. Kept it for themselves. And they were going to go on the take of the church and say, we've given everything up. And so now we want to be taken and provided for by the church. But we really have some bank account here. And so they were deceiving. It's not the same thing. Like Peter, when he challenges him, says, you had the money from the sale. You could do whatever you want to with it. You can give a portion to it. You can give it all, whatever. But you can't lie to the Holy Spirit. And so it was greed on their part. They wanted to take the benefit of the community. And yet they were not willing to trust fully. So this is in giving in our way of being generous, with our looking at possessions, do we really trust that God's going to revive? Now we also know in many examples in the New Testament, where were the church meeting? Synagogue, but also we you know houses. Lydia in, in Philippi, she's a wealthy woman, had a house. That's where they went to meet. Many places in, in the Acts, you see they're meeting in homes. And so people didn't sell their homes and give it to the apostles. They had their homes and they could meet in their homes. And so this is where we have to read and see what God is asking us to do. And so it's not wrong to own a house. It's not wrong to own a car. But if you have an excess, 
to where you can use that to help others, then God is saying, make sure your priorities are right. Are you dependent upon your wealth, or are you dependent upon me? I'm not seeking, this is a commandment, as approving through the earnestness of others the sincerity of your love also. For you also know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that although he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. I give you my opinion in this matter, for this is to your advantage. Who were the first to begin a year ago, uh, not only to do this, but also to desire to do it. But now finish doing it also, so that just as there was a readiness to desire it, so there may there also be uh, the completion of it by your ability. For if the readiness is present, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. Now this is Paul te- talking to the Corinthians that a year before he had come and said we have an offering for the struggling church in Jerusalem. I'm going to come back in a year and we're going to give a gift. And so the Corinthians, oh, this is great. We're going to give. Woo-hoo-hoo. They're all excited. And so Paul's encouraging them again, reminding them, I'm going to come by again. I'm going to take this collection. So make sure you do what you said you promised you were going to do. But he's also stating one thing. God does not require of you what you don't have. So it's not, to, you're not, you don't, oh, I can only give like the widow that went in the temple and gave a mite of where the priest went, oh, look at this, how good I am, I'm giving this. Well, the woman gave much more than the rich person did. And so it's not the matter about, it's about what God has given you to be able to give. I think he's encouraging everyone to participate. Everyone to be a part of when we're looking at the way that we as as a church do in our offerings and have a a, a offering together that we encourage all of us to participate according to one's ability. Each one must do just as he purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So this shouldn't be a burden. It should be a blessing. If we understand that God has given us all what we have, we are stewards of, and that he has given us these spiritual blessings, which also could be economic, to be a benefit for others. It's not just for myself, it's for others. Like in the passage I read from Philippians, don't look out for your own self-interest, don't look out for the interests of others. It's a, puts it puts in perspective. Am I looking out for my brother and sister, or am I just looking out for myself? Am I selfish, or am I including in part of the body of Christ? It's a mindset. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor, not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. So a lot of times when we look at the uh, teachings of Paul and also what Christ spoke, one of the things that Christ said would be a witness to the world that his message is true, that he is the Lord of Christ, is what? What will people be able to see? 
that we would love one another. One of the, the signs that God has said, for people to know that this message is true, that you really true believe and also I am risen, is that you will have love for one another. And so this passage is saying, well, it needs to be practiced. It's very easy for us to read things on a piece of paper and even have intellectual understanding of it. But if we don't live it out, it's worthless. One of the hardest lessons I learned in life is I was working at an airplane factory and I had an opportunity to share Christ with one of my co-workers. And I said, and it seemed like he was anticipating or maybe at a place where he might say yes to receiving Christ as a Savior. I said, well, why don't you pray and receive the Lord right now as your Savior and Lord? And he turned and looked and said, I haven't finished watching your life yet. So I go, oh, oh. People are looking at me to see if, they, if what I'm saying is true. Do I have that heart that we're supposed, who are we supposed to uh, copy? What is it called? Imitate. Be imitators of me as I am an imitator of Christ. Or be imitators of Christ. And so sometimes we are the one representative that God is going to use to present his gospel to another person. And so love, let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil, clean of that and is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love, giving preference to one another in honor. Now, in giving, in looking out for the needy, I do believe that we should have a concern for the world. But in probably 90%, or more than 90% of the times when we're looking at acts of charity, acts of sharing one's possessions within the body, it's to those in the body who are suffering. Yes, we can help the needs and that kind of stuff. But it's primarily, how do we take care of our family? Also, in our daily life, as this little fellowship, how well do we know each other? How well do we know the needs of each of our families, each individual? If we are experiencing true community, we should know where most of us are in our life situation. And if a crisis comes, that we, how can we as a community rise up to the occasion and help? Like in Corinthians, Paul says, well, sometimes we're going to be the ones that have the resources and other people are needy. At another time, we're going to be in a situation where we're needy and the other brothers and sisters will help us. And so this generosity, this uh, compassion, is first focused on the family. You will know that me, you, they will know that you are the disciples, the disciples for the love that you have for one another. And how does love work? It's action. It's just not, I love you. I think this is the first in Hebrews. Make sure that your character is free from the love of money, being content with what you have. For he himself said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. So that we confidently say, the Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid, what will man do to me? 
Now, how many of us in the back of our mind have a fear of running out of money or of what's going to happen in a year? Oh, we have that fear of not having provision. Are we trusting in the Lord? Are we trusting in our bank account? These are some strong words by a little fellow named James. What use is it, my brother, if someone says he has faith, but he has no works? Can the faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, and yet do not give them what is necessary for their bodily use, bodily, for the body, what use is it that? Even so, faith that has no works is dead, being of itself. So if you have the means, and you have the ability, and you meet someone in general, 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 genuish, genuine, genuine, <laughs> genuine need, and you just say, oh, go in peace. I hope you get something to eat and they're warm tonight. But thank you very much. God bless you. Walk away. That is not showing love. We might know the words. We might be able to quote them. We might be able to give a wonderful exegesis of what it means. But in practicality, we are not living it up. Remember to pray for one another. Remember to love one another. Love is not just knowing a scripture. Love is action. Sharing your possessions. I encourage you to read this book. Chapter 8 gives a lot of good insight on just some practical other ways of looking at it. I wanted to focus on, on this here, basically from uh, 1 Timothy 6. So I hope it's an encouragement, a provocative encouragement to put your faith in God. Pursue God. Don't pursue riches. Pursue God. Pursue God. Everything we have comes from God. We are to be content with food and covering and warned about wanting, wanting riches. Don't pursue wealth, pursue God. Be generous, generous with riches you have. Be rich in good works. So I hope this is an encouragement to you. And I hope that we don't just know the words, but we also live them out. And as we look at true community, it's really important that it's not just something in theory, but it's something in practice. I think most of us have brought up who were brought up in the church know everything about what the church is supposed to do and be. But we all can give excuses of why it's not. And so I want to encourage us, us to be the church that is pursuing God together. And we want to be that, that instrument that God wants to, to reach out to our brothers and sisters and also the community around us. Let us be the salt and light. Let us be ones who look at us and say, wow, they really love Jesus. Because we show it to each other and we show it to others. Dear God, I just thank you that we could just use this few moments just to look at uh, our possessions and how we have you encourage us to share them. Help us 
not just to know some good theory, but help us to live it in reality. Help us to be generous in good works, generous in trying to bless others. Help us to see when we are taking our eyes off of you and pursuing something else. Help us all here today to pursue God. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, 